Black Compass, Black Compass Media, back live with another one. Shout out to the people that's out there right now. Tone Bro checking in. Salute to everybody, man. Hope y'all staying safe, staying active, staying vigilant, things like that. Political Bro Show, episode two. You know what I'm saying? Uh, shout out to all the people who's been hitting me up about the shows and stuff like that, different topics and things um and things you want to add and things like that so make sure y'all can hear me I'm, I'm relying on the chat to make sure the audio quality is where it needs to be and things like that um and make sure you subscribe to us at the black compass media da black compass on twitter um also go to patreon for extended clips battle rap talk hip-hop things of that nature we we kind of cover the gamut here uh one of the things that we like to do here too is talk about politics that's that's a passion of mine i'm probably as passionate about battle rap as i am about you know politics right i think that's important this is live by the way shout out to nigel this is definitely live so and we'll give you guys an opportunity to log in to give your opinion give your perspective all perspectives here are welcome too. I, I want to make that abundantly clear because I think sometimes people get that misconstrued with us. Like you don't have to agree with me at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, I would I would love for you know if somebody really did have a disagreement with something that was said here. If there's expertise in various fields, I would I would like for you guys to come up as well. Um, we're gonna have a whole whole situation here, right? So the lead in here, we're gonna talk a little bit about what's going on currently. Also have my man Alex Avalon is going to come up. He's a, uh, a litigator, uh, associate litigator here uh, in uh, the Brooklyn area. So he's going to be able to give us some really good perspective as well. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and introduce him very soon. But I want to get to a couple things. Uh, so and by the way, by the way, I see my man William in here. William, shout out to William. William Bernie. We are talking about battle rap right after this. We got a DNA interview coming up on the uh, bar show with Polo. So there will be there will be battle rap covered, brother. We're going to cover battle rap. Uh, Nigel, my man right here. Nigel, you you're a funny man. But Trump is out of office already. Why are we still talking about politics, Tone? I thought the political energy died when Trump left, Tone. What are we doing this for, Tone? No, 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 no. Many of us are into politics before Trump came and many got, you know, an awakening after Trump. I don't judge anybody for that at all. Uh, I tend to think whatever gets you into politics is fine. Um, but we won't stop. We won't stop. We'll always hold accountable our people. We'll always hold power accountable. It's about accountability. You want my honest opinion? I am not thrilled with Joe Biden so far. I'm not thrilled. I'm not thrilled. And I will give you the reasons why I'm not thrilled. First of all, I feel like we continue to, and, and this is a problem that I have with my side, my side being the progressive side of the aisle. Some people think I'm a, I'm a Democrat, like lifelong Democrat. I'm not. But the progressive side of the aisle for me, the problem that I have is that we renege on everything. We, we concede too much. We give up too much. We abdicate. We, we in the name of, I guess, uh, compromise and things like that, which is not a bad thing. Compromise itself. But you got to remember who got you there. It was black and brown people in those uh, uh, minority epicenters, the, the, the Atlantas, the Milwaukee's, the, the Philadelphia's, the, you know, the, the people that came out in record numbers of people like Stacey Abrams that really helped to transform the demographics there to the, the voting populace. Right. For black people. And I got to salute black women because they were on the forefront of that. Right. With everything that was at stake, with everything that was. Uh, you know, in play for this cycle, our people turned out. Our people turned out. 
And it's time to give us our things. That's what I think. Because I look over at the other side, the, the side that I didn't vote for, right? Um, you know, the, the guys who really celebrated Trump, when he was kicking up, they were happy. I'm not that happy. I, I'm not happy right now. I want to be as happy as they were because they seemed like they were getting the things that they wanted. Um, so I'm not too thrilled. Uh, the things that we have gotten so far, host of executive actions, uh, pretty much reversing a lot of the Trump era policies on immigration, interior enforcement. Uh, the, the one good thing about the uh, the environmental executive order, which is something I've always kind of thought about, was like it really so it really looks at the areas that are most um, affected by the deregulation and, and the policies that were set forth in the Trump administration. Right. So you you hear like buzzwords and I try to avoid buzzwords without, you know, defining them. But like the, the idea of environmental racism. Right. Uh, that that was started. Uh, ben Chavez. Uh, civil rights icon was a big proponent of 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 trying to figure that out, right? So where whether you see landfills or uh, nuclear plants being built close to the neighborhood, or just things not being up to code, the Flint water crisis being a, a key example in our generation of seeing something like that, right? So one of the policies that was enacted was to go after those areas that were suffering the most, right? And and I think that's very very important. Um, Joe Biden is probably due for infrastructure bill. COVID aside, no COVID is very likely we'd have an infrastructure bill on the table already ready to go, but can't get there now without solving this current problem. But in that infrastructure bill, there needs to be focus on where the people live, right? Where the, the black and brown people live, where the people most affected by crumbling infrastructure live, right? Because that's where the benefit is, in my opinion. Now, yes, it has only been two months in office, but I just don't like what I'm hearing. It, it seems like we're reneging on uh, student loan forgiveness. Like we're not going to go as big on some of the health care reform measures that we need. Um, you know, we're not going to go as big on the living wage, the minimum wage efforts that were uh, sort of put in place. Right. And um, there's only so much you could do on the federal level. But I think I think that really does set the tone for the states. Got a first donation here. Uh, from Darren Dio, Brosell need that fro. That fro needs work. <laughs> Salute to the fro. Uh, agree, Uncle Joe, acting like a typical politician. Black folks need the promises honored. That's a fact. I mean, lest we remind him what you know, why he's in office and and who put him there. That there's 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 no reason. There's no reason to renege on things so early, in my opinion. But I know that the focus has to be on COVID to get everything going back again, right? So. And just a quick thing on, on just Joe Biden. It's just like, you know, look, we understand you got there in 1973. You spend that long in politics. There is going to be some bad votes that you take. Right. The crime bill. We won't excuse that. I, I can't cape for that. Even if even though I'm a supporter of Joe Biden, I supported his election. I can't cape for that because that led to mass incarceration. Right. You take the, the war on drugs and you take the 94 crime bill massive uh ballooning in you know incarceration right and not just incarceration but people on death row um there's recension and uh, uh policies help to curb recidivism and things like that right so i think i think though on his record as well as like the second chance act right um in 2008 fair sentencing act as well and in, uh, in 2010 now, the plans that were on the table in terms of criminal justice, and that's kind of where I want to take it here uh, as we get Alex in and stuff.
But the plans for criminal justice are outlined this way. Uh, he wants to eliminate the federal death penalty and incentivize states to follow, right? Repeal federal mandatory minimums, um, reform solitary confinement, just complete overhaul of how people are treated in jail, the decriminalization of marijuana, uh, these sort of retroactive applications of expungements, which I want to get into Alex about because that is a, that's very lawyer ish for me. And I, you know, that's a little bit above where I am. So I want to understand what that means. Supporting ending cash bail, which we're talking about, shutting down private businesses and to and then doing things to incentivize states to do the same. One thing I think is really important, and this is a, this is something that we need to check for. Uh, and, you know, during the campaigns and everything, as we're trying to get to know who the candidates were, there there is a uh, system in California called Open Justice. Right. And it was enacted by Kamala Harris, where you can go into the, the, the portal, the police portal. You can see exactly, you know, uh, what officers records are. Right. Like and what are the what are the, st the statistics in your community? So, you know, how many times we've seen episodes of police brutality, you have that documented. Right. Uh, the, the just the rates. Right. How often people are being stopped. We can data mine that uh, information and find out, oh, it looks like, you know, for the same offenses, these people are getting X amount of uh, time and these other people are getting this much time. Right. And, and I think that's important. I think that's important for us to see. Uh, it's important for that to be transparent. That type of transparency on the federal level will go a whole uh, a long way for a lot of us. Right. Imagine you see an officer walking up to the vehicle and things like that. You collect the badge number and all and you put that into this open justice. You put that into that portal. And now I can see all the various offenses that this cop has made. Right. I, I can see that. I think it's important for people to see that. Right. Um, but so far, I'm not I'm not thrilled, man. I'm not thrilled. I, I think, uh, you know, two months is a little early. But on the early assessment, I just feel like a lot of the things that were fought for um, and that he was saying that he was going to fight for. It looks like he's already trying to tamp down expectations. So that to me is a little bit. That that's a little bit disheartening. Um, Texas, shout out to Texas, shout out to uh, everybody down there in the South. Uh, huge, huge weather fiasco down there. Colder, the, the, the coldest it's been there in the last thirty years, right? So it's unprecedented level of frost and um, just low temperatures. And, and you know, Houston is America's fourth largest city. I don't know if you guys know that. Houston is America's fourth largest city. In terms of infrastructure, right, and that brings it back to the infrastructure conversation, you know, because Texas is the way it is, there was no overhaul to sort of, um, you know, weatherize things, right? Like we know that in some places uh, there's a more severe events and not just like global warming is it can be a reductive sort of comment, like everything is just getting hotter. But no, the global warming is supposed to bring about more catastrophic events weather related whether it's cold or hot right so in this case we're seeing pipes burst we're seeing uh people without power at least 34 deaths right now and and to blame is the failing infrastructure right so there has to be investment there even in places where you know oh it doesn't happen here like no it can happen it absolutely can happen so uh you know i was i was born in houston i have family there and uh, they're 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 going through it. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, it is a shame that it takes an emergency to have that investment. But shout out to the, the mayors and the governors that are actually doing things. Shout out to Beto. I, I know AOC did a big 
uh, drive $4 million to Texas to actually help pass out food and water and things like that. And big demerits for Tim Boyd and Ted Cruz. So Tim Boyd is now the former mayor of Colorado City. He comes out and he says survival of the fittest straight up like like with his chest too like with his with his soul like survival of the fittest this warp charles darwin type of atlas shrugged you know uh outlook on on the whole situation and, and to me that's not the role of of government and uh you know the mvp of of this whole thing is ted cruz right who who in a moment of just tone deafness takes his family over to cancun most people cannot afford to just up and leave in that condition. No, and you know, three hundred dollar a night, uh, Rich Carlton uh, vacation with the family while his state suffers, right? But you have to think, right? If, if you're that brazen, you have to already know that there's enough people that are going to vote for you. And you know, when when the next sort of culture war comes up, because he's a culture warrior, so the next culture war comes, and now he's able to get back into the good graces of people, right? So I think I think that all of that is is important, though. Right. We got to see how it works out, it plays out in the South and what the actual federal response has been. So far, it's been declared a national emergency. So a lot of supplies are going down there. Um, but they, they're going to be cleaning up for a while after that. There have been floods and, and things of that nature. Right. So I just wanted to highlight that because that that to me is a, it presents a nice juxtaposition. And again, the, the people who are hurt the most. Our, our people, our black and brown people, where infrastructure is not the best in our communities. But you guys see the flyer and everything like that. I hope people went out and saw Judas and the Black Messiah. I'm not going to give out any spoilers or anything. I do think it, it is very close to the source material. So we'll say that. Um, I, I thought it was a very good performance. Uh, uh, Daniel Kaluuya put up, put up a, a good performance. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield as uh, Bill O'Neill. The guy who, you know, who, who told, right? The, the title kind of gives you the description of, of what it's what it's going to be about. But I thought particularly what they show very well is portraying the influence of the federal government in these initiatives to uh, break up all of these networks of people who didn't agree with where the government stood on a host of issues from Vietnam to civil rights uh, to policing. So uh, what Fred Hampton was able to do was to put together these different coalitions of people who were once rivals and joined them under the banner of, you know, better policing, better programs, uh, think making things more representative for how the people felt. Right. So big investigation, uh, you know, uh, was sort of it's, it's, it's tough to even think about something like that because Fred Hampton was 20 years old. I mean, he was a teenager at the time where his name started to become prominent in the uh, Hoover meetings. Right. And it's a young kid. So what I draw from that is that leadership doesn't there's no age requirement to be a leader. You know, he started doing that as a teenager. And look at the level of influence, bring together different groups in Chicago, the young lords, the the Democratic socialists out in the, in the college areas. You know what I mean? Rival gangs that were joined under this message of equality. So uh, federal um you know, the, the feds hated it. Right. But the school lunch programs, the hospital programs and things like that. But the whole story, the story, there's a there's an underlying theme of criminal justice there and and the system and how the system is designed to work and who it's designed to work for. 
And I want to do our part to help demystify some of that. Uh, and so let me get to this donation really quick. And then we'll we'll. Uh, how did the narrative on Cuomo change so crazy? He went from leading the charge on COVID to hiding bodies. Yeah, he looks bad. He looks bad. And, and I'm not beholden to anybody. You're not counting the bodies that came from the, the nursing homes. And you're saying, oh, this is just put it into the regular count. Like, how can you have faith? You have to have faith in the institutions. So there's no use in trying to lie about something like that. Right. So I think he's going to have to he's going to have to come to the carpet about that. And I thought that he, he was spiking the football a little too much for me, like mid COVID. Right. Like he was, you know, yeah, he'd done a good job and, and things like that. Kind of, you know, he was ahead of the curve in a lot of ways, but it, it was nowhere near over. So I, I think, you know, we, we celebrated the touchdown a little bit too much. But um, so, yeah, so we're going to talk about criminal justice. We're going to talk about some cases talk about Fred Hampton and things like that. I want to go ahead and introduce Alex, uh, Alex Avalon, who's a um, associate litigator, litigator uh, has, um, hold on one second. Let me, let me make sure I get the bio. I don't want to get the bio messed up. The brother worked hard for these things. So associate, associate litigation attorney at uh, Chase and Lampero and Mallon and Capuzzo, uh, was prior to that was general counsel for the New Jersey reentry uh, cooperation under Governor McGreevy. So, um, without further ado, our special guest for today, Alex Avalon. What's up, bro? Hey, Tony. How are you? Thanks oh, for my. that. Uh, yeah. That intro. I don't know about all that, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, you go, you will take these accolades. Like, don't. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so Alex, I, I appreciate you being able to join us um, and things like that. The criminal justice conversation, I think, is important in light of everything that's going on. But first, can you give us a little bit about your history? You know what you've you know, how you came to study law and some of the things that you've been involved in? Sure. Yes. Um, you know, for me personally, um, you know, in my own narrative, I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm the son of immigrants to this country. Um, so. Uh, service and kind of giving back has always kind of been as cliche as it sounds it's always kind of been a guiding principle to me and I mm -hmm. thought you know when I was young um, you know you have these kind of ideals of like what is a good profession you know what what you can do to like obviously pay the bills and support your family but also kind of have a, a, a social impact right and so I thought like kind of getting into law was something I always wanted to do um, because I thought it was you know at least in my own community um, you know, legal representation, whether it's actually, you know, having an attorney or having access to, um, to kind of the mechanisms of power uh, was something that was like severely lacking, uh, but also like representation. I mean, I didn't see many people who had came from backgrounds as me who were lawyers. Um, mm. so I thought that that was a good platform for me um, to kind of get into. So I, I don't, don't want to cut your wisdom, but yeah, yeah, we missing the like the eyes are a little cut oh, off from my end. Yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. There we go. How about yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Better. Perfect. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, continue. Perfect. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, I'd always, I mean, you, you talk to every attorney, they'll tell you I always wanted to be a lawyer, but uh mm -hmm. that really rings true for me. Mm -hmm. Um I wish I knew then what I know now. <laughs> what I know now, and that might have changed the conversation. Um but so I had always wanted to kind of find that um, that middle ground between policy and, you know, the realities of life. You know, I need to make a living. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, uh, so, yeah, as, as you said, um, 
you know, I graduated from law school. I got involved in politics. Um, I actually ha- I, uh, had a campaign of my own. I ran for county commissioner out in New Jersey. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, cool. we got about 43,000 votes. We lost to the Republicans by like 1.3 uh, percentage points. So it was mm-hmm. pretty close. But after that, I was kind of like, all right, you know, I need to build a career. I need to pay some bills. <laughs> you know, law school is not cheap. Right. Um, right. So um, I was fortunate enough um, to uh, get involved with the New Jersey Ranchy Corporation, um, which was run by former. It's still operating. It's run by former Governor uh, Jim McGreevy here in New Jersey. They're they're across the state. Uh, mm-hmm. We're headquartered in Jersey City. I, I live in Jersey City. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really great work. Uh, I was obviously the general counsel, so I was like representing the corporation, but I was also tasked with kind of running the legal program. And that was basically dealing um with uh the reentry population uh within new jersey re-entry. okay yeah, so okay people who go back who people go back to jail okay right no so so what we were dealing with is we're our, our population mainly males uh we, we do mm-hmm. have uh we did have a, a small female population but it was re uh, reintegrating um people back into society right because okay just, okay right yeah, right there there was right. constant pipe there was you know there was a constant pipeline Mm-hmm. Um, between lack of social services, lack of resources, and our system, in theory, should be based on rehabilitation. And unfortunately, and, and we can get into this in further detail, it's not. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we saw recidiv- So, um, you know, about 68% of our population uh, did not reoffend. And mm. the, at, I think in 2019, I'm not sure what the uh, up-to-date data is, the national rate is like 13%. Um, so, what we, so what did we do? Uh, we focused on really the main goal was employment, was getting these guys employed, right? Get, mm. Getting them sustainable wages. Um, so the temptation rights, there's so much of crime and criminal justice theory, I think that mm. has credibility is, it's tied into poverty. It's tied into right. lack of resources. It's tied into lack of opportunity. Talk that. Yeah. So yeah. we really focused on, you know, um, my legal program focused on even getting people's driver's license. When you go away, I had, I had a lot of guys say, when you go away and you go away for 10, 15, 20 years, they take everything away from you. You become a number. So you mm. got guys coming out, of, coming out of jail, reformed paid their time right right paid, paid their debt to society if you will yeah and want to have a better life and they can't even get a driver's license to drive to work basic basic stuff yeah and basic this is stuff. still happening yeah okay. so that work really um i think was was very fulfilling for me um so, so you know, one, one one thing i don't i don't i don't want to cut you off because no, this, this is good stuff uh now your your background because some people in the chat are asking about your background how you grew up and things like that like what ethnicity thing you know what i mean that oh, type oh, okay. of stuff. yeah so yeah. um so my my dad uh my dad's from uh caracas venezuela mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so he came here at like the age of 23 couldn't speak a word of english uh my mother my mother is my mother's from the marble hill houses the projects in the bronx mm-hmm. half mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so okay but i was raised in suburban new jersey i was raised as like the token Spanish kid with white. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a very interesting perspective. <laughs> but um, but you have honest, objectively and honestly, you have you you could pass. The, the, I get you know that a lot. Saying? Yes, like you can pass. But that's why I wanted people to be clear of what you know. What I mean, what's going on, and, and it'll it'll 
it'll make more sense as to why you do what you do now yeah. you work with. So I wanted people to understand that. So, so Puerto Rican no, and, and, and Puerto Venezuela. Rican, Cuban, Venezuelan. Um, right on. Okay. You know, uh, yeah. And, but, but you raise an interesting point, like, you know, I can pass. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So, How does that work in law? Cause I mean, we know that darker people get tougher sentences. I want to talk about the sentence disparity and stuff like that, that you see, um, you know what I mean? And, and dead time, like you, I think you were leading down. Path. Let's start with dead time first. Yeah. I, I, I get arrested. I, you know, it's a, it's a heavy crime. It's a heavy accusation and I'm sitting in jail, right? How, how long can they legally hold you in jail? Why is it that some guys spend years in jail? Years. So what what you bring up is it's such a multi-layered and complex system, right? Okay. Because yeah. I think the underpinnings and, and I think it's important to like touch upon that, right? Like mm. it's 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 a form of control, right? Bail 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 in essence is the most, I think, like clear example of how the system is made for people with money mm. and, and 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 people with wealth historically. If you couldn't make bond or you couldn't make bail, they can hold you from from the time of your detention until you until you get a final verdict. Right. Wow. So they, they can hold you for the entirety of in theory and historically they could hold you uh, for the entirety of your legal proceedings. Right. That's crazy. But, but but all right. First of all, why? <laughs> what? Why is that? Why was that? Because because cash bail. That that's the thing, right? So everybody, just so everybody, know, we're talking about basic bail. You got to pay X amount. You got to put up someone's house in order to get out, right? So, but why? How? How? How does this even happen? And what's the sort of the the thinking behind it? I mean, you litigating these cases. Like, how does this? How do they make a distinction between so, who has to stay and who goes? Yeah. So. Um... <laughs> Obviously, uh, it was ba- I mean, historically, it was based on uh, socioeconomic biases as well as racial bias. I, I mean, there's no question about it. Um, r- racial animus played a significant, significant role. So, what does that look like? It's the same thing as sentencing, right? You have mm. you have a you have a white American, let's say, getting uh, conv- getting charged and sentenced for, let's say, a second degree CDS, you know, uh, control of dangerous substance, right? That person, that white person is going percentage and time and time again um, is going to receive a lighter sentence than than uh, an exact same uh, similar, similarly situated mm-hmm. uh, black or brown person, mm. Latino person. I mean, it, it's that's and we're talking about 50 over 50 years of sociological studies, anthropological studies. The same thing is applicable to bail as well. Okay. So. Um, the NAACP uh, Legal Defense Fund did a fascinating study uh, over about 30 years and found that the very same scenarios were being played out in bail, meaning mm. a uh, white defendant, let's call it a defendant at, at this point, for the exact same crime would get lesser bail, A. Right. They could percentage-wise pay bail and be out, um, but they were also, they, they were you know they they did a juxtaposition between defendants who had the same essential background okay so let's say no criminal background no criminal background no flight risk and yet no flight they, risk okay they always denied more often uh about about two-thirds more often to 
um, African-American or Latino defendants. Wow. So, so, so same conditions, same, do, they got the same record. You take the name off of the profile, same person. Right. Now, same, same, but, but it's different. It's, it's, and, and that, and, I, and I'll get into how that permeates not only, I think the most like blatant examples of um, a lot of these structural uh, and systemic uh, racism issues and socioeconomic issues in, in, in the legal system, but that mm. permeates the entire legal system from mm. even the side of well-intended, well-meaning, whether it be lawyers, whether it be prosecutors, whether even whether it even be um, law, uh, law enforcement officials. But mm -hmm. I'll get into that because I, I, I think what's a critical point for, for, for people to understand also is... Um, I mean, these are historic underpinnings, right? right. This is not something right. that happened overnight, right? What would happen in the Deep South, right? At, in, in, in uh, you know, post-Reconstruction during mm -hmm. Jim Crow? What would yeah, happen, right? Mm -hmm. Very often, innocent people, Black men were accused of crimes against white victims, were kept in jail, and then what would happen? Vigilante justice. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. I mean... I'm a part of the system, but right, you can't right. be a part of the of the legal system, or you can't be, I think, part of this country and not be infuriated by those facts. But I think it's important that everyone recognize that those facts exist, because there's mm -hmm. a lot of people who I think historically have been in denial about it. And right, right. People who are in denial hold the mechanisms of power. Mm. It's not all doom and gloom, though, right? So going back to to uh, dead time. I mean, another great example is is the Browder story in New York. Khalif Browder. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. He innocently, right? Yeah. Was accused. He was completely exonerated. Never charged with a crime for stealing a backpack, right? Crazy. And because and and because they didn't have bail reform in New York at the time, um, and you know he he was very vocal about the injustices that were going on him, but the system clearly failed. Um, and he ended, and, and tragically, he ended up committing suicide after being incarcerated for two years. He was never charged with a crime. Let's yeah. let's let's compare that to January sixth, two thousand twenty-one, where we have a, a a shaman, the QAnon shaman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the cop stole the cap. Don't mind me drinking a drink while you talk about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, because I still can't believe that. An armed insurrectionist that caused the death of five people, including right. a Capitol police officer. Right. Gets organic food sent to his cell because his mom wrote a letter to the judge. Organic food sent to his cell. This is a guy who, who ran into the Capitol, took all types of selfies, broke 100 laws, and he gets organic food to his cell. OK. Yeah. OK. So, I mean, this that's that's a month ago. And when you compare that to the tragedy of the Browder story, I mean, it just, it's, it's, it's gut-wrenching. Mm. Now, I think it's important to, you know, we're not exaggerating when, and I'm not, I don't feel like as a, as an attorney that I'm exaggerating in saying that, that that's gut-wrenching, but mm. I don't think it's all doom and gloom. So, okay, I think so what, what are we doing to get things better? The mass incarceration, you had the, uh, the, the first step act, which is literally that a first step, the Trump administration, there was some uh, there's there some bipartisan support behind that. And and so but what you know, what is that? I mean, I know what it entails and what it doesn't entail, but I would like to 
to know what what's on the table in terms of reforms like just what what you've been yeah what you've been exposed to so you know obviously like you know I, as part of my background and and obviously from our coverage like you can tell I'm of a certain political realm or like right. team right but right. I want to talk about this completely like entirely objectively okay. and so in, yeah, so in the reentry population, reentry is one of those rare kind of bipartisan issues. However, uh, I'm I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical, and my skepticism is towards both realms of the political sphere. Right? Okay, I watch think, yeah. So I mean, I think um, on the right, yeah, I think it's a lot of people support reentry or or support criminal justice reform for just that political reasons. Okay. Um, because at the same time, those same politicians on the right are still supporting the private, uh, privatized prison, uh, complex. Right. Which, I mean, we, we have the, by far the most lucrative, <laughs> and I mean that in a, in a negative sense, uh, private prison complex, um, that, that, that the world has ever seen. The idea that that is lucrative, that you could say the word lucrative with prison, I just, I, how does that even, how, how does it even work to where we got all these private prisons? And I know that's one of Biden's initiatives and stuff like that, but why why is it that you could support reentry programs, but support private prisons? And and what what is the, is there a pipeline there from the judges on the bench sending people to these private prisons or what what? What's going on with that? No. So you see, so uh, different jurisdictions do do things differently. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, at least in terms of the so so the judiciary in theory should be completely independent. However, there are metrics. Right. So Mm -hmm. if you're if if, if you're if you're a criminal justice, if if you're a criminal law just, you know, judge. Um, you're going to be evaluated on, okay, what are your, what are your conviction rates? What are your, what are your guilty verdict rates? You know, what, what are your not guilty verdict rates? Are you too favorable towards the plaintiff side? Are you too, you know, are are you too favorable towards, towards, towards defendants? And I'm of the belief that as impartial as they try to be, um, that's not, you know, they're, they're essentially human beings. So, um, yeah, I, I I think the private prison complex, you know, it, it it I don't think I don't think even I fully understand it to be wow. quite honest. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. Uh, you know, hmm. um, but it's it's contractors. I I think it goes beyond the legal system, and, mm-hmm. and I think it, it's more of a kind of a um, kind of a policy. So it, it's between these third party contractors and legislators and government contracts and um it, it you know it, it's and it's all justified in this kind of you know mystical sense of like oh economic freedom it's mm. capitalism mm. um and 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 that the government is too big and that the government should not be involved you know in in running all of our prisons in in their entirety they're not equipped they don't have the, but what the data has shown is actually the standard of living in a lot of these private prisons are are private or partially privatized prisons is tremendously lower than fully public or you know fully federally funded um wow. institutions wow but i i do want to go back to dead time because i think okay. one of the I, you know 
I, I think one of the most important things is bail reform. Bail and, reform. And New Jersey, okay. that, I have dealt with that significantly. So, All right. So bail reform, really, the now the only, at least in my experience, what I've encountered, the only metrics for keeping someone incarcerated during the course of their legal proceedings is if they pose a significant risk to the victim, to the victim's family, not, not even so much a flight risk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, that's sometimes thrown around, but I mean, the U S marshal system is, I mean, they're good at what they do. They, I, yeah. but I mean, they, they, they also have their, you know, they, they also have their roots in, you know, the uh, fugitive slave act. So, I mean, they've, mm. they've been around for 150 years. Right. Right. So, right. but um, really, if someone doesn't have a criminal record, is not accused of, well, even in some cases, somewhat of a violent crime, um, if if an offense attorney or, or a public defender can make an argument that they are going to stay away from the victim or they're not going to pose a significant violent risk, mm-hmm. most of the time they're going to be released, at least in the state of New Jersey. And bail, bail reform, what bail reform has done is essentially uh, bankrupted all the bail bond companies. But they're all underwritten by huge insurance companies. And what these companies do, what the, what the mm. bail bond companies do is they operate in multi-states. So all mm. the ones in New Jersey have gone. So really the only issue is counties um, or, or sheriff departments who like issue these bonds uh, are trying to collect against major insurance companies. I don't really see a negative in terms of impacting um, suspects or even victims of crime, because ultimately, if you're a victim of crime and, you know, the evidence, the evidentiary standard is met, mm-hmm. you're going to get your justice. Right. So, but, so let me so let me let me ask you this, though. Let me ask you this. Now, if I, if they hold if I commit a crime, they just hold me in there. Right. They hold me in there on, on dead time. I go to a private prison. Does that prison continue to uh, uh, get money for me being there? Like who's making the money for me? Somebody has to be making something for me staying there. Right. Like who, what, what, what does it, what works with that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, um, so, so that's a really, so that's a really good question. So, um, basically, you know, when, when, when you're being held, let's say, Let's say you get arrested. Um, you haven't had you you haven't had an initial hearing, right? You're you're in you're you're in the county, right? Mm-hmm. That's actually a loss for the county. <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> so, so yeah. So 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 in theory, in theory, you know, at first it was pushed back a little bit when bail reform, at least in New Jersey, when uh, when it was being put before the legislature mm-hmm. um, from law enforcement, but ultimately the law enforcement has become actually very supportive of it because it makes more sense. It gives them more, more efficiency and really they're only going to keep incarcerated at the County level while the proceedings are happening. Um, mm. You know, and, and this is before going to state, this is before getting a sentence, right? Um, they're only, they're going to have more resources to, you know, keep the very serious, you know, serial killers or, or, you know, what have you incarcerated. Mm-hmm. The, whereas historically, you know, a nonviolent, you know, uh, controlled substance, you know, I got, you know, you, you're, you're going to spend $60,000 a year to, to, to keep someone who had a pound of weed in their car, never hurt anybody, never, <laughs> never committed a violent act. Crazy. It doesn't make sense. And I think law enforcement, at least in, 
in like Hudson County, like Jersey City, uh, Essex County, Newark, you know, the a pretty uh, high population um, urban counties uh, have actually had positive feedback coming from law enforcement. So no one, I think, it, the only ones who are saying that bail reform is a bad idea, and I'm just speaking in New Jersey because it's it's what I've seen. I, you can mm-hmm. actually see a pretty new, it's only, uh, it's only been around about three years, mm. um, are the bail bond companies. This is shit. I mean, they were yeah, yeah, okay, crazy so. money, defaulting on, you know, the crazy interest rates, and, mm-hmm. and then defaulting anyway. So mm-hmm. I, I, I don't really, I don't really see a negative. Now to answer, now to answer your question specifically, um, you know, what, what, what basically happens is, uh, my understanding is, um, even in, you know, a, like a, like a state penitentiary, for example, mm-hmm. a lot of the, so like, let's say like the trays to serve meals on or, or the food services, those will be third party out. So, so they get a certain budget. So the government gets a certain budget put aside. Okay. So if this was a completely public prison, let's say I have a hundred dollars per inmate to spend on, um, food services, instead of them doing it themselves, they'll go to a Mm -hmm. contractor and they'll say, the contractor will say, I'll charge you 80. Mm. Gives them $80 and that $20 is a windfall. So in theory, the people that are making money are the contractors, but indirectly are also the state entities that are able to save that 20%. Right, right. So then it just becomes a game. Once we get you in there, yeah, now it becomes a game. Now, let's what about what about the go back to the whole thing about the the bail reform idea. Oh, yeah. As my man uh, Daniel Levine is talking about, what about the cases where it is violent crime like it like how does how would that work then? Because you go ahead and re- you reform that when you essentially be letting people who committed crimes back out into the community. How does that how would that work? Yeah. So so the so the um so the metrics um, at least, you know, uh, in, in the state of New Jersey, um, uh, so w- was there actual violence committed on a victim? Mm-hmm. What, what was the severity? The victim is, um, entitled at it. So it's, so it's called the initial, uh, it, it's actually called a detention hearing, mm-hmm. a pre-trial detention hearing. Mm-hmm. And, and the victim can make an impact statement. The prosecuting, uh, the prosecuting attorney will almost 100% of the time say, no, this person is a risk to the community. Mm-hmm. What factors in are the background. If, someone's, if someone has a rap sheet, you know, 35 pages long and it's littered with violent offenses, assaults, domestic, uh, uh, domestic violence, most likely they're not, they're going to be held hmm. or they're going to have, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to be detained. But because it's not bail, um, the the court and the detention hearing judges have a wide discretion and we've seen more. Yeah. So that was one of the, that's a great question. That was one of the major concerns. Um, but, you know, I'll, I, without divulging too much, you know, cause I, I'm, I'm, I'm ethically bound. I had, yeah, a, we got, we got it. Yeah. yeah I, had, <laughs> I, had a, I was involved in a second degree kidnapping case mm. um, where the, where the accused was my client. Um, uh, Never had a criminal background. Um, didn't actually commit a violent act. Um, threatened to. Um, mm. A co-defendant. A co-defendant um, had a weapon. Um, the victim made an impact statement saying she wanted to, saying that they wanted to drop the charges against my client. Mm. My client, on the record, 
uh, I was able to, to argue that my client on the record um, would uh, remain 100 feet away from the alleged victim. Um, and if he violated that, right to jail. Mm. He had no background. He had a job, education. So right. Right. this is a first-degree kidnapping case. He was not detained pre-trial. His co-defendant, though, mm. had the weapon, was kind of at more what the facts showed, at least at the initial stage um, and at the grand jury, was that uh, the co-defendant was more of the aggressor. The co-defendant had spent 10 years for a violent offense. The co-defendant oh, wow. was detained. Right, right. So is it a perfect system? No. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I I think thus far how it's playing out, it's been more um, positive than the negative mm -hmm. and but it, it kind of it kind of goes to this question though it, it's kind of more of a philosophical question right it's it's is it better that one guilty person goes free as opposed to one innocent person being on death row mm. and, and, that, and, and that's a tough question i'm not saying that, i have the answer to that, that. that's <laughs> i mean I, look i i just like i like the fact that they're looking into you know the uh reforming the the way that these things are decided because it just it, it kind of seemed like it's like a like I can't understand the equation. Like I'm a scientist. I can't. The equations don't make sense to me, Alex. They well, don't. Well, one you of know the what other I mean? issues. Yeah. One of the other issues. And I've talked to people in law enforcement, too. One of the, one of these the other issues about dead time, too, is. You could spend more time if you can't make bail in kind of the let's call it like the old school regime, right? Of right. You, know, you can't make bond. This is a bond or, you know, we're not issuing a bond. You're flight risk. You could spend more time. Right time served than what you ultimately get sentenced with so that, and, that, and that to me that's the part that's crazy so then if i spent all that time in jail then doesn't that get knocked off of whatever sentence you're going to give me or i got to serve uh, more time on top of that so, so you know yeah you in theory should be getting credited but it doesn't make any sense right if you serve two years let's say hypothetically you're two years for yeah and some cases take that long let me tell you some of those cases take that long and right. civil, that's a whole nother thing. But mm -hmm. you can spend two years for an offense that you would get three months for. Mm. So, yeah. Oh, thanks. Time served. But I already spent excuse me, I already spent two years mm -hmm. when if I had gotten out or if there was bail reform and I, let's say I were to get convicted, I would have only spent three months. So that's why now you're seeing even a lot of. Um, uh, I, I would say the vast majority, at least in states where they're considering this of law enforcement groups, the judiciary, um, the defense attorney bar, the public defender tend to be in support of bail reform mm. because it, it, at least now, um, in places that have instituted it, it is a perfect no, but it seems to be working and it seems to be avoiding those major issues. Okay. Um, the, the major issues being the, the inequities of who, can pay right who, who who stays detained right and also the inequities of this kind of you know being credited time but it, it, you know oh great thank you you know like it doesn't yeah, yeah, yeah. credit me three months i spent three years for something i didn't even do it's, cra it's crazy that's crazy and and let, let me let's get to this too because the, the fair sentencing act they that, that came out in uh in 2020 2010 and basically that was another one of these reforms going against the reagan era war on drugs where now we don't make distinction between powder cocaine and crack cocaine right in terms of sentences now have you what uh, 
are they are they going to continue to roll out more of those measures? Because I, I know now marijuana is about to be legalized. I would like to know the perspective from the, the courts on that, on what that entails. And and are we going to see, uh, uh, you know, rates for nonviolent drug offenders, especially in marijuana? Are we expecting to see that go down for those people? Um, so, yeah, uh, my my sense is um, that at least in I, I would say jurisdictions like, you know, New York, New Jersey, California, Oregon um, that have that have policymakers that uh, are kind of on the forefront of these yeah. issues, despite the bipartisan, there, there is bipartisan support for a lot of these issues. But in terms of at the state level, mm -hmm. I haven't seen a lot of reforms actually being in. in oh. I think the brother might have froze. Hold on a second. Let me uh, chat. Can you guys see me? I think Alex might have frozen. So we're going to get him back. Give me a second. Uh, Alex, if you can hear me, you're frozen. You probably want to leave the, the chat and come back and then we'll, we'll plug you back in. But you're you're frozen right now, my friend. Um, shout out to all the people listening too. we're going to try to get Alex back. Uh, hold on a second. Uh, let me see. Let me see if he. Yeah. Now, and I, I see the questions and, and things like that. We're going to get people up here. I just want to cover that last little part. And then we can uh, continue on. Uh, give me one second. Let's see if uh, we can get Alex back. Yeah, Alex is leaving the chat and coming back. And also, the uh, the invite link is here. I'm dropping that in the chat so that you guys can uh, join in, you know, whatever experience, whatever questions and things like that you guys might have. Um, you know, we want to want to be able to field those, uh, you know what I mean? And um and everything. So I, I look, I didn't know. I didn't, I don't know everything. Right. I don't know. I didn't know about dead time. I didn't, I didn't know brothers couldn't get their IDs back. I had no idea. I had no idea about that. So I definitely want to get into that. Make sure with the stream and everything, make sure everything is good. Um, but yeah, I think it's a question that deserves some reckoning, right? If we're going to legalize marijuana, if we're going to legalize marijuana as a uh, on the federal level. What's going to happen to all the people that were selling it before? What's going to happen? Right. I would think if the if the government wants to make money off of marijuana, why not hire the guys who are really good at selling it? I'm just saying, why not? You're going to legalize it anyway. So but it just it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense as it stands right now. So we're going to try to get Alex back uh as soon as we can if you guys have any questions and want to come up here you're more than welcome to do that uh i want to have more of this type of discussion because i think it's important man it's important to see you know the perspective and how things are really changing in terms of our rights right um and the disparity that still exists with the school to prison pipelines you know uh the, they put obstacles in your way for re-entry so that's another important aspect of this so the stream is there if you like to call up and things like that, we'll definitely take your questions. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get Alex back. Uh, Alex. Hey, sorry about that. It's all good, man. It's all good. It's all good. Falling on a budget. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Scott. Yeah, um, but, but I, I no, said the most incredible stuff too, man. Yeah. yeah it was, gonna have to edit that. Sure. it was Denzel in Philadelphia. It was, it was up yeah. there. It was, it was up there, but, yeah, but no, but just to, just to go back, um, you know, in terms of the disparities that still exist, the, the fair sentencing laws and stuff like that. 
Uh, do we expect more of that? Do we expect to see more of that to close those gaps? I, I, I would say absolutely in states that have kind of uh, take, you know, become the standard bearers. I'm always, I hate to sound cynical, but I'm always skeptical of the political speak. I actually want to mm -hmm. see um, action. And I think certain jurisdictions um, have shown that. So for example, um, in New Jersey, uh, at the end of uh, 2020, they passed the, 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 the New Jersey legislature passed um, obviously uh, marijuana laws, um, mm -hmm. you know, setting, setting a framework legally uh, that will make recreational marijuana use entirely legal. Mm. With with a mandate to um, stop prosecuting um, minor weed offenses. Mm. However, okay. there's however a, there is a however. There's ladies always, and a, there's always, there's a, always a, a however. however. <laughs> Go ahead. Yep. Um, even though in this state, they they did it they in a predominantly democratically run assembly and state senate. It took years. Uh, the the assemblyman um, Nick Nick Scatari had drafted this four years ago they had to do it by mm -hmm. referendum because of the political and permanent bullshit that that goes on um and almost 70 percent of new jersey and said no like you should have done this already do it mm -hmm. they didn't provide a framework for it we don't know at the state level it's going to take a year or two years to, to you start seeing the dispensaries like you see in oregon like you see in california however this is it's a, such a great example of the disconnect between legislators people who make the laws and the people who enforce them since mm. that was passed new jersey has uh, law enforcement has filed six thousand six thousand not six thousand six thousand new criminal charges based on marijuana possession marijuana what usage. how how is that how like even though our, law, our state law says yeah it's legal we yeah. don't know how it's going to be legal right um we, we don't know, okay, who, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it too. I mean, but mm -hmm. like still figuring out distribution, but we're talking, I mean, look at Colorado. Colorado made $28 million on day one. Yeah, day one. On day day one. How day one. How can I set something up in a state like New Jersey? Uh, this yeah. is a state that it's, it's mind blowing. And, and when New York follows suit, it's going to be the exact same shit show. Um, but so. Yes, it's great that we're having legislative pushes in the right direction, but there's a lot of other things that need to be taken. How is there? How how are six thousand people being arrested for marijuana after the state legislature? That's another one of them things. Yeah. I have, um, that doesn't make any sense, yeah, you know. Um, but, and then what about what about the fact that? And I see people line up in the chat as well. Uh, M. Salazar, we're gonna get you on soon, but um. You know, I, I think I think the 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 other thing that sort of bothers me is that, you know, crack and, and everything was treated a certain way. Right. Reagan treated that a certain way. The law enforcement and, and the courts and everything. Right. You got a rise now in pill use and prescription meds and, and things like that being abused, sold in the black market, things like that. Right. Demographically, it doesn't affect black and brown people as much as suburban whites. Right. Why? Why is the disparity there in the eyes of the law? And, and, and uh, do you see cases like that where the sentencing for that or the outlook on that is a little bit different than in the crack and marijuana situation? Yes. So, um, well, you know, crack, crack was a Schedule A drug because who used it? Where mm. was, cocaine wasn't because who used cocaine? Talk yep. about it. Yeah. yeah. We're being real today. Yeah. That's why I'm glad I got you here. Al. That's why I got. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I got. Yeah. 
And that's fact. That, that, what's the difference? What's the difference between crackhead and, and coke? Who used it in the 80s? Rich mm-hmm. white club people. Where, 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 where was crack an issue? Where was a crack? And I'm oversimplifying everything, but mm-hmm. it, it was a mainly, you know, um, black and brown. Problem. Like, so it, yeah. I don't even, it, it was a problem, but, you know, th- so that's by design. That was by design, right? Okay. Because, you know, they're not going to go, you know, and, and have a paddy wagon, at, you know, uh, Pacha, you know, <laughs> or, or the Hotel Gansevoort, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. th- that's, that's how it's designed. So um, what's interesting, though, is is at the same time, I mean, fentanyl, you know, it, it, we – that was one of the major issues for our guys when I when when I worked in in reentry, right? It's like the way it was described to me by drug counselor once is that it's like fentanyl is like three uh, grains of sand. Four will kill you. Wow. Three, three, three is a high. Four will kill you. Wow. What's happening with it? But it, it's it's interesting because it, the conversation changed, right? When when it started hitting suburban. When you know opioids started hitting suburban white communities, middle class communities, it was no longer you know a crisis. You know, it was a crack crisis of the eighties. You know, the Reagan it was just say no. It, this, this was a scourge that was destroying the very fabric of American society. Mm. It be- it it became something different when it hit different communities. Right? Mm-hmm. It changed into something that required uh, sympathy, that required mm. you know. A, a a policy level that expanded beyond just policing, right? right. So 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 I I think that's very interesting, right? It, it it became an epidemic when it was affecting white communities, right? Right. But I but but I also want to say something too. I I I I think the way that it's framed is wrong because I don't think it's just I I I don't think the opioid crisis is or you know crisis is just the white thing. It does impact. And significantly, black and brown, lower socioeconomic communities. And I would say, I would argue, even worse. Hmm. Because it's, so So the synthetic fentanyl is cheaply produced. So the cartels are producing it in, 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 in a massive amount of quantities. It's, hmm. it's easy, it's cheap, and then they're just smuggling it in or setting up the infrastructure here um, to make it in, in, in these uh, synthetic labs. It's cheap. So hmm. it's kind of a volume business. So they're flooding the streets, you know. You don't hear you don't hear about that, right? You turn on the TV and it's this wonderful. But even that, right? Even the treatment, these wonderful rehab facilities that cost money. That everyday the everyday people in the projects, the everyday people on the streets, the everyday people in immigrant communities in in disenfranchised communities are not getting that type of treatment. Are not right. getting that type of help. Right. Um, the focus is still mainly on policing. Mm. But yeah, I see disparities. I see disparities um, in sentencing. I mean, I, I, I wish I, other, you know, I, ha- I had I had actual numbers and, and 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 data for you. But I mean, even in even in the the expungements, um, historically, and 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 that's another you know to go to your point about okay, what's the reform that that can actually in, um, improve a lot of these issues? Yeah. Um, expungements were actually historically like very hard to do. Um, and hmm. they, you had to meet a, so you, if you had a, a higher than a second degree controlled substance, uh, uh, controlled substance charge, mm-hmm. you couldn't get that expunged historically. It had to be very minor. 
So wow. you could you could be you could inadvertently, for example, deliver a package, a FedEx that has a pound or two pounds of weed in it in let's say nineteen eighty, and you get charged for, you know, uh possession with the, with the intent to uh to distribute and completely change your life. Mm. Become a pasture, you know, what whatever, start a nonprofit, completely change your life thirty years later, that's still following you around. Right. Right. So New Jersey actually at the end also along with the um with the marijuana bill, they passed a a, a revision to um to the expungements, which has kind of so you can get up to five expunged. Mm-hmm. Drug offenses are now considered um uh disorderly conduct. Oh. So if 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 um if you have a second or first degree, you can petition the court for that. If you have anything less now, automatically after ten years, um it's gonna be clean from your record. Wow. Okay. I think it should happen automatically if it's a minor marijuana offense, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think it's a start. Um, you, a lot of people now can do it online because the process was very difficult. Even if you had an expungible offense, you know, it, it costs filing fees. You had to send it to the prosecuting attorney of the county that you were convicted in. You had mm. to find all your original documents. Some people had 30, you know, 20, 30, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're at kind of at the discretion for them to, to review your file. I have people waiting around for expungements for two, three years. Um, I had someone who could get an expungement for a gun charge because they had a BB gun when they were in college and they got caught with a BB gun and that, and, and, and that's illegal in New Jersey. Uh, you know, he, he was Puerto Rican, he had a BB gun and they were treating it as if he had an AK 47. Wow. Wow. Would that occur? I, I, I mean, you, 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 would that if if he wasn't a Puerto Rican kid from Greenville, Jersey City, would he have gotten sentenced so harshly? My feeling is no. Obviously, that's anecdotal, but I mm-hmm. think there's data to support that. Right, right. All right. So, so I want to get people up here too. Uh, Salazar, you don't have your uh, camera on, so I, I I need you to turn your camera on before we get you up here. But uh, the 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 other people that are in the stream that want to talk, the stream is right there. The link's right there. You don't need any fancy equipment. If you got your phone, you know my rules, man. Uh, make sure you get off the McDonald's Wi-Fi, turn it to the side, <laughs> all right. Wash your face and be respectful, all right. These are very simple rules that we that we run the show by here, Alex. All right. So um, I'm gonna get Salazar on to ask his question to, to contribute to commentary and things like that, and then uh, we'll we'll keep everything rolling. Salazar, what up, bro? What's going on, man? Can you see me? Yeah, I can see you. All right, can you turn to the side for me. Though? Can you turn the camera to the side? Is it di- if it's too difficult, it's all right. It's all right. Yep, there you go. Perfect. Right. Yep, that's much, much better. All right, so um, so I'm an attorney, and I'm also uh, Mexican-American, and I recently started uh, a job being the uh, assistant district attorney. Um in in my community I, and i wanted to know uh, uh <laughs> alex when are you when are you gonna run for district attorney because uh <laughs> i think that, that prosecutors have an amazing amount of uh, power and we need you know representation in uh in those positions right on right on man i appreciate that and you know um yeah i i, I I also want to say, yeah, and I probably should have said this earlier. I mean, I have some tremendous colleagues and tremendous friends that are prosecutors, that are in law enforcement. And, you know, 
we have these conversations. Like I learn a lot from them. I learn more about the inequities I think from them than I do, you know, on the other side. But mm-hmm. but you know that that that's very inspiring. You know, like it, it's because there are people, and and I think representation. I think that's huge. I, I, I that's that's so key. I mean, um, uh, yeah. I, would you I, ever I Would you ever do it? <laughs> <laughs> Put them on the spot, Salazar. Do it. Yeah. How much do you offer it? All the stuff that you're talking about with bail and charging decisions and, you know, whether, whether to, to, to keep someone in prison for mm-hmm. 10 years versus five years. I mean, the, the prosecutor has a ton of power yeah. when it comes to that stuff. And, and, and the thing is that, you know, you get a lot of folks that are from law enforcement um, taking these positions, and you know, if that's if that's going to be the case, and those people are going to um, make those decisions based on their politics and stuff, and I and I think that we need yeah. people from the left, representation from from black and brown people in those positions. You know, that's the point. Mm-hmm. Well, what about and our and now we got two lawyers here. I want to know that like demystify this whole public defender thing because from when I watch the movies and when people talk, they always tell me public defenders are terrible. What what is the deal with public defenders and Seinfeld voice? Alex, you you, you can start and then we'll they're great. Start. They're great. Yeah, yeah. I I I think they're actually uh, they're a lot of them are actually really good attorneys. Hmm. Um, there, a lot of them are incredible people. A lot of them have left very successful practices to, you know, fulfill their, their desire to, to have some kind of, you know, positive impact. Mm. At least in my experience though, um, in big jurisdictions and very busy jurisdictions, Hudson County, um, mm-hmm. New York city, uh, a Brooklyn pub, uh, public defender, they're, they're overloaded. Oh, they exactly. Have, they don't have a lot of resources. They have okay. sixty cases, right. uh, and and they can't exactly. choose their cases. Yeah, and they have the hardest cases too. Mm. Okay, um, Salazar, do you have the same type of uh, outlook about the public defense uh, process, the infrastructure that's there? Yeah. So, so in the United States, you have a right to representation. If you can't afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you, mm. and basically, that's a constitutional right that you have. You know, and so um, in all the jurisdictions across the country, they set aside a certain amount of money for people who are indigent and can't afford an attorney to to give them representation Um, because you don't want to go in there representing yourself. I mean, I see people trying to do that and. It's not a good idea. You have to doesn't have work. an attorney. I, I don't why, care. Why doesn't you know. it work? Why, I mean, you know, you figure you're a smart guy. Why, why doesn't, what, what are the pitfalls here representing yourself? Like, what's the issue? I mean, it's, it's just, it gets really complicated. And, and if you've, if you've got 10 years hanging over your head, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you want to make sure that you're, that you're, um, addressing every single issue in, in, in the case, you know? So, um, basically I, you know, I, I think that they're, they're really essential. You have to have public defenders and the ones that I've worked with. Um, I mean, they're, they're, like you said, they're completely overloaded with work, but, um, the ones that I've seen do a really good job. Okay. Okay. 
All right, no doubt. I no, I appreciate that because I, I a lot of this stuff I I haven't had much experience in the legal system, but I, I do want to know about stuff so I can arm myself with this information right before I even go in there. So the the whole thing that Alex was talking about before, the the things about not being able to get your ID back, not being able to vote, and other things that are taken away. What are some of the other things that are sort of taken away from people when they come out or whatever, like, like how, how does that even happen that I can't get an ID? I can't get my ID. I can't get a state license. Like why, why would that even be on the book? Yeah. There's, there's all kinds of other crazy stuff that yeah. happens. Like for instance, if you don't pay child support, yeah. if you don't pay, or if you don't pay like a ticket or something, they'll take away your license. And to me, so, that's just crazy. Like why would we take people's ability to, um, get money or like get a job or whatever if, if they're not paying child support you know and i'll be, be the first one to say yeah you got to pay your child support but why are we making yeah. it into this punitive thing I, I just uh you know i think it sucks yeah and that's that's such a great point i mean we had to do in terms of in terms of licenses i mean we had we had guys who were went away for decades and they come out and they've accrued They've accrued thirty thousand dollars worth of municipal parking tickets. Oh yeah, or or failure to oh. appear. But how can they pay a parking ticket when they're incarcerated? And they're in jail. So we had to go to municipal court. I had to develop a network of. We had to use incentivized attorneys to do this pro bono to go to municipal court and get those fees reduced. So in, yeah, I, I don't know about your jurisdiction, um, Salazar, but uh, in New Jersey, uh, you can get a time served credit for certain fees, but you had to go to court. And it, yeah, someone again, who goes out, they wouldn't know to do that. And again, that's wow. where you, you need you need public attorneys, whether it's a public defender or, or legal aid or whatever, yeah. to to represent you in, in those kinds of things. One of the things that I've seen in the short time that I've been here is people getting stopped when they have their license revoked, and they'll do this ten times or whatever, get mm -hmm. ten tickets. And it's such a burden on the on the courts because you have these people coming in over yeah. and over and over. And so what we're trying to do is um, figure out how we can take all of those situations out of the criminal justice system. If you get a ticket for not having a license, basically, let's let's deal with it on, uh, you know, before it gets filed in, into court because um, mm -hmm. it, it clogs up the courts. I mean, there, there's so much uh, little bullshit stuff that, that really clogs up the yeah. courts. Um, and so, yeah, one of the things we're trying to do is is take that out of the court system and, you know, deal with it before it even gets filed. Okay. So, uh, Salazar, what's, what's your uh, jurisdiction again? What would you, where you say you are? I'm in, law? I'm in Colorado. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that and that and that you guys. So you guys had the marijuana reform, right? But as I had heard yeah. that you know, the big the 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 issue that the thing there was that now you can shift resources over to other drugs that are more caustic in the community, right? The the methamphetamines and stuff like yeah. that. Like, how is that sort of worked out in a, a totally. legal standpoint now, where you know this thing is legalized, but you still have other crime? Like, what's been the side effect too? of, you know, saying, hey, marijuana is legal? Well, basically, um, you know, and, and I'm relatively new, uh, so I don't know what it was like back when, when we was illegal, but mm -hmm. 
I very rarely see anything come across my desk that's that's marijuana related. They still have like having an open container of marijuana in their car, I guess, is is illegal. Um and I, Who would do I mean, that, I, by I way? Who would have an open container of marijuana? Like, seal it up. Close it. Close yeah, it. just seal I, it up. Preserve the fresh. I think it's a, I think it's a way for for them to still try to punish people. And honestly, I think that that's, that's a bogus charge. Um, but we still do have all the heroin and meth and that kind of stuff, which is, again, really, really uh, sad to see. Um but as prosecutors, again, we have the discretion to say, instead of putting you in jail for having a possession for meth, let's mm. make you go to, um, you know, uh, intensive uh, rehab therapy. That's right. a great, um, you know, like, like one of, <clears throat> one of the things we'll do is like, say, all right, I'll sentence you to six months in jail, but you can get day for day credit if you go to uh, a rehab facility for six months if you don't finish the rehab then you got to go back to jail but if you finish the rehab then you can basically spend your whole jail sentence in, in rehab um and there's there's tons of money for that stuff and and so you know again we have a lot of discretion in how we uh how we deal with with drug sentencing like that you know we, we have that too it's called a drug court uh, and actually, Hudson County, uh, Tony has a great. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Drug court is great. It's basically like diversionary programs for 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 drug offenses. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's like okay, if you go to rehab for 30 days, I'm gonna throw the charges out. And 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 I I, I you know exactly. I, yeah, I know the judges have a lot of discretionary power, and I guess I would assume the prosecutors um in 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 drug court do um do as well. But that they've seen a lot of success um in in the hudson county um, uh drug court um and so they're hoping to make that kind of a national model okay okay yeah great i think it's great yeah, yeah and, and so I, was, I would love to get you know more of your perspective and stuff about your your specific community and more when we have these i certainly would want you to call up and things like that and voice your opinion and, and, right. and thank you thank you for your service to law as a person of color as a mexican American person that matters that representation matters that absolutely does so I, I salute you for that all right salute to me bro yeah man no doubt no doubt man Salazar man that was dope that was dope yeah, I mean because he has he has different a different set of like things that he's dealing with and stuff like that um so I I didn't see as as many people sort of signed up some people popped in popped out and everything like that so we'll, we'll probably clip this off here but I want to I want to maintain contact with you, Alex, because I think, you know, this is very educational for me personally. I think it's going to help a lot of people out to just to see the perspective of law of the courts and how they work and things like that. Absolutely. You know, beyond the base questions of, hey, when I'm going somewhere and an officer stops me. Right. Um, you know, and actually, you know what? Let's talk about it. Probable cause. The bar for bar probable cause is anything. I, I don't I don't actually understand it. And then, you know, what you do to, you know, uh, counter when an officer asks you where you're going, because I was always taught that they don't have the right to ask you that. So what what is the actual truth on that that matter? So uh, what, what was taught to me uh, was th this is this this question could save your life in a very calm way. Am I being detained or am I, or am I free to go? Mm. Because if they don't have probable cause, 
they'll say, you're free to go. Then you just walk away. Am I being detained? They can only search. So um, it's all about also preserving your your legal rights. Mm. So they can. So uh, law enforcement, um, for the most part, and, and Salazar actually might correct me on this later, but uh, um, they can pat you down if they suspect a weapon. So what? I mean, yeah. So so that so it, it's um, I, I th- there's a term for it. I think it's like uh, it, it, it so it, it's the same. It's the same theory that like they can kick down a door without a warrant if there's an emergency, right? If there's a fire going, they can kick down. You know, if they, but I mean, you have to visibly see it. But that has been used. So like you cannot. So you can say I don't consent to a search. Okay. And then they would have to get a warrant. However. You have there are examples of bad actors saying, "Oh, you don't consent to search, but I see a bulge in your pocket, so I think you might have a weapon." And then you know they find drugs on you, for example. Right. Now, but the fact that you didn't con- consent, you know, in a con- in a calm way, uh, will preserve your legal rights later. So you mm. know what will happen is people say, "You know, you're not entitled to search me right now. I do not consent to a search, but you're still searching me." And people will get, you know, it's almost like a way of of antagonizing you. Mm-hmm. And say you can't search me, and then you know you, you make an action that is interpreted as violent, and then it and then it's over with. It's over with. Yeah. I always say I do not consent to a search, but I'm not going to stop you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I feel like that qualifies it in a way. Like is that is that a way to sort of qualify it that you did not, you didn't resist the search, but you definitely didn't give consent. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. But I, 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 I think that's a, that's a smart way. I mean, these are very, these are very, you know, difficult situations because all it takes is one bad, one bad actor and you, you've lost your life. Mm. So like I tread very carefully when, when, you know, and a lot of people ask me that, you know, because um, there are, you know, constitutional rights, there are constitutional limits to what law enforcement can do, but when those limits are, are, are when someone crosses crosses the line, it's life or death. It's not mm. a matter of losing right. property. So, like I, right. you know, I I always err on the side of saying, "Am I being detained or am I free to go?" And saying mm. a very nice way. And and that's and that's it. What about what about asking me where am I going? That question. You you don't have to answer that. You know, you don't. If there's no probable cause, like what's what's the probable cause, right? You have to ask right. yourself. You have to ask yourself that. Really, the only oh, um, you look suspicious is not going to meet, at least in my view, the evidentiary standard of probable cause to mm. stop and harass. With that said, that doesn't mean that that's going to end the conversation. Doesn't mean like, that. you're protecting your legal rights more right. often. Yeah. So you know, I. And that personal experience where asking the question, am I being detained or am I free to go has ended in you're free to go. Mm, okay. So like a lot of, you know, people who are, tra- you know, I would, I call them bad actors. Um, you know, they'll keep asking, keeping you talking. Right. Because as long as you're voluntarily talking, they can ask you whatever the hell they want. If you right. voluntarily say, Oh, I'm going down to the, you know, I'm going down um, to the bodega or I'm going, I'm going to the bar. You volunteered that information. Right. Yeah. But if you say, listen, um, you know, I, I, I don't consent to a search. Uh, I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm, I'm complying. But I mean, am I being detained? Um, because then then there has to be probable cause. Now, will that end, end every scenario? In my experience, no. And when I say my experience, you know, is, you know, people I've talked, you know, 
clients, potential clients, what have you. Mm-hmm. Does it sometimes? Yes. But what's what's crucial to remember is even in the short term, right? If it seems like your rights are being violated, you got to play the long game and protect mm. your legal rights. Okay. Because you, you've seen things get thrown out in court, right? And, uh, but also, you know, could potentially be the foundation of uh, of a civil suit right could could be the foundation of a civil rights violation could be could be the foundation of it may maybe a a demerit for said law enforcement and get them out of this out of the streets you know get them behind a desk so it doesn't happen to someone else right um you know what one of the things i i do want to say this though uh you know briefly i i at least in my experience um the majority of law enforcement officers that I've encountered, I think don't tend to be bad actors. I think the issue is, is when you're, when you're part of a system that protects and allows the bad actor, you, you are, whether you're consciously or subconsciously or intending to be, you're, you're, you're complicit in it. You yeah. know, you're, 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 you're complicit in that. And so I think, um, and I've seen, I mean, it, it varies, but I've seen certain law enforcement mechanisms at least having that dialogue and i think that that dialogue is crucial Hmm. but at the same yeah but at the same time um you know you have to think that okay i need to protect my legal rights here because you know this if you know if shit hits the fan right and 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 you feel like you're being attacked and you defend yourself which Mm -hmm. i think any reasonable person thinks that that's justifiable it's going to be your word against the word of a bad actor who's most likely they're not going to be protected right okay um, so okay. yeah so um once again i mean i i I've, i i i think that question right am i being detained <laughs> because there needs to be a certain level of probable cause i think maybe the, the prosecutor could speak to <laughs> um to that more um but obviously you know everything you're saying we can't i know it sounds cliche can and will be used against you so i also say say the bare minimum mm. shut up if you're shut up. Or something, you hear that up. that's from a lawyer y'all shut up <laughs> y'all be talking way too much shut up yeah. shut up but, but um good conversation and, and it could very well be a good conversation right mm-hmm. it, it could be someone who's not trying to necessarily screw you over right but you know be careful yeah people, people get in trouble and they say too much and they don't protect their legal rights and then at the end of the day they end up getting screwed when the encounter shouldn't have happened to begin with okay i got you hey alex man i appreciate your time you up here. i appreciate you talking to us and everything and, and sharing your expertise you certainly we can bring you back especially if there's another sort of case or whatever it is, you know what i mean we want to go through some sort of historical cases and stuff yeah, like we need to talk about fred hampton man yeah, see, and and Fred, but this is but all of this stuff. This conversation is the legacy of Fred Hampton. It's about education. It's about understanding how you know think the landscape is, has changed and and what because all these things affect us, right? They affect us at root. But um, but no, before you go, share your thoughts on on Fred Hampton, like and and how that factors into how you practice law. Um. Well, it it's 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 about justice, right? I mean, and it, it, it's, it, it's crazy to think when we were at the height of the cold war where our biggest enemy had nukes, right? The Soviet mm. Union had nukes. And yet you have J. Edgar Hoover, who I think wielded way too much power, ruled over law enforcement, like his own personal uh, fiefdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at 
black and brown social justice movements and essentially freedom fighters as domestic terrorists, as a, as threats to having an armed insurrection against the United States government. That to me is, is, is really mind boggling. And mm. when you look at, you know, were there, you know, were, were there violent confrontations? Yes. Was it all perfect? No. But if you look at ultimately what they were fighting for and, you know, free breakfast, right? giving breakfast right. to kids. I mean, that's what yeah. the young lords were doing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm more familiar with you know, the history of, 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 of the young lord. You know, people are, are quote unquote radicalized for a reason. And instead of looking at the reasons, um, mm. you know, they were put, they were, I mean, Fred Hendon was assassinated. I mean, it, 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 there's no, you know, there's, there's no question about it. I think right. it's, like, it, it's very telling on how institutions or, or kind of a system views its own citizens. And, and, and I think that there's a lot of lessons to, to, to be learned from that. Mm. Um, I, I think, you know, optimistically um you know progress has been made because of that struggle but we got a long way to go got a long way to go yeah that's right that's right man hey it's good to have people like you out there representing that that understand the the paradigm that we're talking about you know what i mean i i I appreciate you um you know having your platform and, and 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 using it for good and 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 allowing me to contribute in you know any small way that i can Definitely, definitely. Alex will be in touch. You know what I mean? And uh, until then, man, stay safe. All right. You too. Thank you so much. No doubt. No doubt, man. That was Alex Avalon, associate litigator, um, you know, very well versed in what's going on in terms of community and things like that. Criminal justice is important. It's the it's the foundation uh, for a lot of inequities or it can be a launch point for a lot of inequities that we see. So we have to stay vigilant. We have to understand the laws. We have to understand the constructs, right? What made the Panthers, what made Fred Hampton so powerful is that they understood it. They understood the laws. They understood how to to, to organize, right? And, and, the, and make America be true to the promises that it made. And, um, you know, and I, I just want to say for all the people who've been arrested, for the people who've been to jail and things like that, you know, and, and come out with the, And I know that changes people. Right. I know going to jail changes people. Reentry is tough and things like that. And for the folks that are fighting cases or, or whatever the case might be, I hope you got something from this. I hope you understood something from this discussion. Have these discussions, have these talks, have these debates and things like that. We may not always agree. And that's OK. And that's OK. Um, but but what we can't lose sight of is that the goal is equality the goal is justice the goal the goal is equity right and um as far as as far as what you know fred hampton was able to do is bring the coalitions of people together in order to fight the systematic inequality right so the same things that they learned from slavery to oppress black people the same thing they they using to oppress people who are just poor and white and, and that power structure has to be understood so that being said, that will conclude the Political Bro Show. Appreciate all of you for, for being out here. Uh, definitely, definitely, definitely hit me up in the comments and things like that. If you have questions or disagreements and stuff, let me know. All right. Uh, just answer a few little questions before we get up out of here. Uh, uh, Augie says, who did I? Who did you vote for, Tony, bro? This last election, I voted for Joe Biden. 
you know, I think I think what Trump had done right. Besides the fact that my pockets were, you know, financially he was pretty good for me. But you know, the 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 deregulation, the the policies, the the foreign policy objectives or the non-objectives, in my opinion, led to this sort of uh, instability in areas where we should not have instability, right? We rely on allies and things like that. But the America First policies in themselves, the deregulation, um, you know, focusing more uh, resources towards communities that are already okay, I think that's inherently racist, right? Because, you know, these, the the programs, the the federal programs, disproportionately help us the most right like so but we know that we are disproportionately the most targeted um you know the the outlook on the police the you know strengthening the the police the military industrial complex I, i'm totally against that uh biden for sure has his faults and we'll we'll hold his feet to the fire on criminal justice but i think that their strides being made in the right direction so that's why i ended up voting for uh joe biden all right so as this is seven, every uh, no debating versus right wing people. Now, Destron, I wanted to get somebody that was of the right wing persuasion up here, but I wasn't able to find anyone. If you guys know of anybody or you yourself want to come up and debate politics and things like that, I'm more than happy to do that. But uh, we're going to continue on now for everybody. We switch it back into battle rap mode. We got DNA coming up on the bar show. My man Polo. It's going to be a huge talk and things like that. But visit this content. Hit us up at the Black Compass, DA Black Compass and stuff like that. But with all that being said, Tony, bro, Black Compass Media, stay vigilant, stay safe. Happy birthday to Nina Simone and rest in peace to Malcolm X. Both events, her life and his death, same day, 32 years apart. Tone, bro, I'm out of here. Peace.